All right, folks, let's resume. And, um, and um, let me tell you two more pieces of information. Um, if anybody is, there's my phone number here, because a, a few people ask me if I have some kind of business card. I don't. But if you want my phone number, it's on this sheet of paper. My name is Vasily Osichuk. Here's my number. It's available right here. Now, on the bottom here, there's three possible internships you can sign up for. Uh, one, May, April, um, March, April in California, Sacramento area, all the way to Bakersfield, because that's where the citrus grows. Uh, next one after that would be uh, June through August in North Dakota, Bismarck area. And next one would be September through November in Florida, Fort Myers area. So these are the three possibilities. The very first one is focused on, um, on spring development of bees, cherry, um, split making, and, uh, and uh, citrus honey production. That's the one in California. Um, if you want an early one, you can start earlier, which will be focused on almond pollination. So that's, that's what it's going to be. By the way, if you are doing beekeeping internship, be prepared at least, at least, at least uh, two to four nights within your two months internship to spend a night or two moving bees because you move bees at nighttime. So at least two to three nights of your internship will be moving bees. You, you will be you know, skipping sleep at night, but you will get to sleep the next day. All right, that's how it works. So you load them right after sunset when it's getting dark. You try to really quick load them up, move them to a different orange grove, and unload them. Maybe by 2 or 3 in the morning you're done, and then you return back and sleep. And then you sleep until noon, probably. <laughs> you know, that's how it works. Now, um, in North Dakota, um, be prepared to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, so you have personal devotion just with yourself and the Lord. Then sometime by 6.30, we'll have worship together and we'll have a class period for about an hour. We'll do book study, we'll take a quiz, and then you don your, your bee suit and you go to the, to the fields and there's about 20 to 30 yards, bee yards. You'll be traveling from bee yard to bee yard, checking on colonies, lifting boxes, checking if there's plenty of bees or not. That's the nature of that internship. The one in Florida is going to be focused on doubling the number of your colonies. So what you'll be doing, you'll be actually arriving in Florida with a semi of bee of beehives. A semi holds about 400 colonies. You will unload them, and then you will feed them. If um, if Brazilian pepper is not blossoming well, it starts blossoming sometime early October, I believe. But if it's not in bloom and there's nothing else, you'll feed the bees sugar water. And uh, you'll feed them all the way through the early pepper blossoms. Uh, Brazilian pepper is a wonderful honey producer in, in, in southern Florida. I don't know, maybe you have Brazilian pepper here too, I don't know. But southern Florida, every swamp, every farm has edges of wild growing shrubs and trees and most of them are Brazilian pepper tree. Um, it has, anybody knows uh, regular pepper tree we have uh, in California, you know, thin leaves, um, yellow fine blossoms, very similar blossoms to that, only Brazilian pepper tree has large leaves about this size. And uh, it produces very fiery hot nectar. It's like, you know, like corn pepper has spice 
citrusy taste to it, so is the nectar. So if you eat Brazilian pepper honey, you won't like it because it's spicy, it's hot. It's like cayenne pepper hot honey. <laughs> uh, it also has funny looks to them. It's sort of a greenish, oranges, fluorescent color. So that Brazilian pepper honey is not pretty. So we do not extract that honey. We do not eat that honey. But that honey is very good for the development of bees. You remember the bees need two very important factors in order to grow, pollen and nectar. It's an excellent nectar for the development of the bees. So they grow really fast in September, October, November here in Florida. Then early November, you split your colonies in two and you pre-order queens and you will introduce new queens to the colony that has no queen and eventually basically you're doubling number of your colonies why do they do that because they hope to winter in California and instead of having you know 400 hives they will have 800 hives and in the spring they haul them all the way to California course they have to pay about seven thousand dollars for each semi load of bees to be transported all the way to California but they will recoup that and earn some money by uh, hiring the or giving their bees for pollinating the almonds so they'll recoup their expense there so that's the focus on this Florida one splitting growing and introducing new queens so if interested um, put your phone number down uh, if you put your name, put your phone number down so we could contact you too when, uh, when uh, it's um, time for, for, um, for each of those uh, expeditions. So my name is available here too. Now, what is the subject of our conversation here for this hour? Let's see. Extraction. Honey extraction on small scale, huh? Yes. Just a quick question before we go into that. Swarming. A friend of mine who was starting out with beekeeping, he would get, you know, either bought or somebody gave him a hive of bees. And two or three times had the same problem where the queen would just move out and swarm, you know, they'd hang out on a tree nearby and then they would just take off. What would be some conditions that would cause them to do that? Uh, so is the question that the same colony released too many swarms in one season? Is that no. the nature of the question? The colony moved out of the hive. They didn't like the home. Oh, not just, one, not just a swarm, but the whole colony moved out. Okay. So let's just make a, 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 a de definite separation between these two issues. Swarming is, is one thing. Now, the phenomenon you just described is called absconding. It's basically... A per, uh, like for example your wife and you decided to buy a new home and you bought a new home but then you discovered you don't like something about that home and maybe the home smells or maybe you discovered there's some wrapping at night in a wall or whatever <laughs> and you say we are moving out we're not staying in this home the same thing happens to bees sometimes you put them in a in a colony maybe that wood that the hive was built with has some chemical in it that the bees don't, are not happy with. Or maybe it had, by the way, you never paint the inside of your hive. It's just raw wood on the inside. Not raw, uh, treated wood. Treated, ah. Uh, untreated, but, um, but uh, it's ripe. What do you call ripe wood? Uh, seasoned. seasoned, yeah. That it, that it wouldn't crack or warp, you know. So it's, it, it, it's just natural wood. But what if, in the process of building, they introduce some kind of harsh chemical or some scented thing that the bees are not happy with. They can leave that home in search for a better home. They would do that. Uh, some, some chemical, some scent, 
will cause that. And it's totally different from swarming. It is not swarming. It is, it is called absconding. A, B, S, C, O, N, D, I, N, G. There you go, absconding. So they will abscond or leave. They basically, for no apparent reason, they decide we are not happy with this home. We are not staying here. So the whole colony will move out. Um, so swarming is different though. Swarming is when the colony is overcrowded and it's a natural way for colony to establish a new colony somewhere else. And sometimes a swarm, a colony will release one swarm and sometimes second and third swarm. So a remaining thing would be a handful of bees there, right? <laughs> With a new queen. Eventually, if you take good care of them and feed them, or if there's plenty of nectar, they will grow, and by the end of the season, they will be a mature colony. But if this swarming happens in May or June, it's a good thing. If the swarming is happening in August, it's way too late for that swarm to make it on its own, because the season is almost over. I think in Oklahoma they have a saying, a swarm in May is worth a stack of hay. A swarm in June is worth a silver spoon. A swarm in July, just let it fly, Because you know? <laughs> it's almost worth nothing, you know? It's too late in the season. So you, you value swarms in the spring because there's a full season for them to work and develop and mature. So remember, swarms are good. It's a natural way of, of, of expanding, but you cannot control a swarm because it can take off and you will never catch the thing. In most cases, Swarming happens around 10, 11 in the morning, and if you come and check on your bee yard daily, around 10, 11, you'll see them swarm, and you will see where they are landing. If it's, a, if it's in your favor, they will land somewhere nearby, low enough on a pine tree, that you can come and shake them off in a box and, you know, house them. And they'll, they, they'll have, yeah, that'll be great. But a better yet procedure is to prevent swarming. So you make a split early enough. Sometimes you come to a bee colony and you hear bzz, 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 bzz. That's a signal of a queen that's about to hatch. And it's signaling the old queen, take off, I'm coming out. So the swarming is about to happen. And if you caught that moment, then you are very, very happy. Why? Because you have a very ripe colony that's about to give birth to like five queens. And and out of one colony that's fairly large, you can make five different splits because you take like two frames of brood, you take one frame that has queen cell that's already buzzing and about to hatch and put it in another box and quickly run it and put it over here. The reason you have to do it quickly because those other queens will hatch in about five minutes. So you do the same, put it in different boxes. So out of one strong colony, you made five splits. All those queens will hatch in their separate individual boxes and they will start their new life as a separate colony without swarming away. So you are in control. But if you release the swarm, it could be bye-bye because they'll land so high on a pine tree you don't want to climb there. Yeah. Or they will fly so far you won't catch it. So that's, that's the problem. Now I saw two hands. Yes? Okay, the hive is noisy, but it's a very, very... Um, Peculiar, peculiar beep. You, you can tell it right away. It's like when your phone is on the lowest setting and you still hear it chirp, you know? You can, you can, because it's your phone and you can tell it, it's chirping. 
Nobody else can tell, but you can tell. So you come to the hive and you hear that right away. Now, there's another thing. A good beekeeper always notices these things ahead of time. You check on your colonies and you notice that one of the colonies started establishing these queen cells. They started growing queen cells. And if you notice it and you looked at that larva, and just by looking at the larva, you can tell whether it's a two-day-old larva or six-day larva. Or if your, your queen cell is about to be capped or sealed, then you know it's about, about, about uh, ninth day of the life. So you know you have four more days to wait. No, uh, uh, seven more days to wait until it hatches out. So you mark that down, jot it down on a hive. Say, queen cell established due to hatch on such and such date or hatching such date. And then next time you come and just read on your colony, use wax pencil or some kind of like construction pencil and write down queen due to hatch such and such day. Normally, write one day ahead because you will come one day ahead and you'll catch it before it hatches. Because <laughs> if you wrote the same day that you think it should be hatching or one day later, then she already gone. She's gone, you know? So that's a good way to do it. I saw a couple more hands. Your hand. No, good. All right, if I didn't get your hand right away, it's not because I didn't want to, because I was in a, in a very thick of discussion. <laughs> All right, so let us address, yeah, go ahead. Did you see those high traps with pheromones in them? Yes, they work. Do you keep those on hand on your Yes, I don't, but many people do and they are successful. Basically, what, what can you do to attract swarms? There's always swarms, there's always uh, feral bees in a tree or in a wall somewhere, they will always swarm. Now, there's special pheromone you can buy that will attract the swarms. The swarm, before leaving the colony, will send scouting bees to scout out and find a place. And they will check your box and they will find this attractive scent or pheromone that will tell them, hey, this is a pretty nice, suitable home. And if you put empty bee boxes on your property somewhere, especially if your neighbors have bees. <laughs> so, you put some pheromone in there. So, it does not attract bees, guys. It only will attract a stray swarm. Basically, it will not lure the swarm out of your neighbor into your box. But, if the swarm already left that box, and it's flying in the air, there's very high likelihood that they will choose your box as a home. <laughs> you know? So yes, those pheromone lures work, and you have to ha if, just have a few boxes available empty. Even without a pheromone, if you have a box that was used by bees, they already polished it with propolis, there's wax smell, there's honey smell in it. Any scouting bee will find it suitable for the future home. And when there's swarming season, which happens in different climates at different time, um, the swarm, there's very good likelihood they'll choose your hive. And, um, and they like that smell of propolis. By the way, anybody knows about propolis? Really quick, propolis is a really fun thing. It, it, it's a substance that bees collect from buds of the flowers and budding trees. You remember the Bible talks about the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations? Guess what? These buds of the leaves and buds of the flowers actually produce this substance that the bees collect mixed with wax and it's called propolis. And it is used by the bees to keep their hives sanitary and clean. 
they polish every little part of it. They polish each cell before laying egg there, by the, before the queen lays egg there. They, um, they basically use propolis as antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal remedy. If there's enough collectors or workers, and if there's enough medics in a hive, or sanit sanitary workers in a hive, Basically, if the colony is strong, they have enough workers to spread that propolis everywhere and polish every little nook and cranny, and the colony is healthy and strong. That's why it's important to keep the colony strong. Besides, they actually, at the very entrance of the hive, they will create a maze, like a labyrinth. Out of what? Out of propolis. So when the bee returns from the field, perhaps picking up some virus or bacteria, the bee, the returning field bee, will have to go through that maze that is constructed out of propolis and decontaminate itself by rubbing against each wall of that maze as it goes through into the hive. So basically, the entering bee, because the bees were able to collect so much propolis, is disinfected. It's like disease-free, and the colony maintains its health. And that's where propolis got its name. Pro means before or prior or to. Polis means city. So before the bee enters her city, it goes through this pre-city, or pr prior to city, there's this pre-city, or pre-propolis. <laughs> so it goes through propolis maze and gets into her city back healthy and strong. So that's where the name propolis came from. Before a place before the city, like prior to the city. So it goes through that maze. Amazing how God made these creatures so, so smart. Very smart indeed. And by the way, my daddy um, uses propolis on his achy tooth. He's now 85. He lives still on the other side of the world. He doesn't go to dentists. Sorry if you are dentists, guys. <laughs> Instead, whenever he has achy tooth, he assumes it's bacterial infection. So he takes a little propolis, puts on that tooth, bites on it, and holds it there for like a day or so, and his toothache disappears. And he says this is the best remedy he found. Of course, you could go and, and fix your tooth and fix the root of the problem there by, by getting the root canal done too, you know? Canal. Uh, a root canal is very important. Um, some of them I have that were done in former Soviet Union, and they were done with some substance that, substance that local dentists don't want to touch. They say, we don't want to touch that thing. You know, if it doesn't bother you, just keep it there, you know? <laughs> don't redo the thing. But my daddy considers propolis the best remedy for his achy tooth whenever he gets it. Now, a, uh, propolis is also used as supplement, nutritional supplement and stuff like that. It's easily collected from the frames. The bees use it for dual purposes. First of all, disinfection. Second purpose, they use it as glue to keep their frames glued together. Whenever they want to attach something, they use propolis mixed with wax and that's their glue. They, even the boxes, when you put box on top of another box pretty soon, they glue the cracks with propolis. And if you have a hole in the top of the lid and the raindrops come in, they will stick some of the propolis there and patch the roof with propolis too. Yes? So are you, are you using your propolis? I don't collect propolis, but commercially, some people collect propolis commercially. They use special mats on the top of your hive or very fine mesh and they put it on top of the hive and the bees want to seal each little hole and then they freeze this mesh in the freezer the propolis becomes very brittle and uh, they just shake or bang that thing against a collecting, a collecting vessel or what would you call it in English? A collecting tray and collect the propolis. And they commercially package it in capsules or use it for 
medication, whatever preparation they make. Um, another very intriguing use of propolis. They, in, in 16th, 17th centuries, they used propolis to make varnish for violins and cellos. So propolis actually has just the right density at the room temperature to uh, resonate with the sound of the deck of the violin. So they mix some rosin of trees with prop, and the reason they use propolis is dual, also for the, for the resonance enhancement and for the color, because propolis comes in all colors available. You can have green propolis, you can have gray propolis, you can have brown propolis or orange propolis. Every hue, depending on the plant that they collected from, the propolis varies in colors. That's why if you see an ancient or old valuable violin, the varnish that is used on the violin most likely has propolis, and it could be slightly greenish violin or slightly brownish or orangish or reddish violin. It, 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 the, the hue will depend on the propolis used for the, for the varnish. So that's a very unique way of using propolis. All right, let's go back to what are we discussing? Small, small honey. Man, there's so many interesting things we could get um, uh, on tangents here and discuss, but let's go back to honey production. Okay, if you are, if you are a hobbyist and you're starting beekeeping, um, you are doing it mostly for two reasons. You want your garden to have good pollinators, right? You want good crops, whether you're raising, you know, crops like cucumbers or melons, or you have berry bushes and you want pollination. Uh, most berries enjoy honeybees. Um, the yield increases. Or you are growing fruit trees like cherries, plums, peaches, you know, apples. Their yields will increase too. If you are growing citrus like, uh, let's say, clementines or or mandarin oranges. You don't want bees uh, in your orchard. Take a guess why. Seeds. Yes, because cross-pollination will increase the number of seeds in your tiny fruit. And if you have tiny fruit like this, and it's full of seeds, you probably are not happy and your customers won't like buying your clementines because they're full of seeds. So most clementine or mandarin oranges growers during the blossom season actually cover their trees with like cloth all the way to the bottom so the bees don't attend the flowers. So if you grow that kind of stuff, remember to cover that if you have bees. Otherwise your, your fruit will be full of seeds. Now if you grow oranges it's okay because orange is big and if you have 10 seeds in it it's fine but when you have 10 seeds in a tiny fruit like this that's not very good. So you want bees for your pollination for excellent crop and good seed if you you keep your seed for the next season. Now, second reason, you want honey. You, you, you are happy about honey, you are happy about, about pollination. Now, when you started just two or three hives, you can get in touch with another beekeeper and ask that beekeeper everything about honey production. That's one thing. Of course, you can read everything in a book and then try doing it, you'll learn how to do it, you'll do it, you'll make a few mistakes, you probably will end up with a few broken frames, broken comb. You remember that fresh comb that's full of honey is still very what? Yes. Brittle, gentle, tender. It can break easily. When you take the cappings off and you don't know, you've never done it, you don't know how to do it, you probably can cut off most of the frame when you take the capping off. So there's certain 
techniques. There's a special knife on capping. So, for example, you are removing honey out of your hives. First of all, remember, you need to wait until the honey is what? Sealed. You need to wait until the honey is ripe. Normally, that happens by the end of the season. Now, sometimes when the honey flow is so strong and the temperatures are high, the bees will seal all the honey early in the season. What do you, you, you have to rejoice, right? You, you say, hey, I'm going to extract honey twice this season. So what you do, you come to your hives. You have, let's say you have two hives. You open the top of your hive and you see your, your frames that were skinny frames like the cows in Pharaoh's vision, poor cows or skinny cows. You look at them in April and they are poor and skinny, but you open the lid in May and those frames that were skinny, all of a sudden you see they are puffed and fat frames, you know, full of honey. And what the bees do, they want to pack as much honey as possible, so they start increasing the size of the cells. So the frame that is like two or one inch fat or thick will increase a little wider. So they attach to that cell a little more, so your frame looks puffed up with honey, you know, beefed up with honey. So when you see that, that's a good sign. The beekeeper says, oh, great, fresh honey, ripe honey. It's already capped or sealed. So that means that it's right content of water and sugar. If I extract the sealed honey, it will not ferment. It will keep for millennia. You know that in pyramids where they find foods that were stored for pharaohs to eat after they died? Of course, they never, never ate any of that stuff because they were dead. That's why we still can find the honey there that you can eat today. We can find seeds that you can plant and they will grow. That's how dry the, the, the air in the pyramids is. That's how we got our kamut grain from, from ancient pyramids. And we plant now, and kamut is the largest seed of wheat that you can plant and harvest. It's a huge grain, of, well, not this big, small. <laughs> but that's where we find honey too. Still could eat that honey. So when the honey is ripe, and that's the key thing, do not harvest honey until it's fully sealed. Make sure it's fully capped. That will assure that your honey will not ferment. Your honey will stay for centuries and will be good. Of course, any good honey that has not been processed will crystallize. If your honey doesn't crystallize, that's a sign of either over-processing or a sign of a monoculture that has very little pollen in it. Because any saturated liquid to form crystals has to have centers of crystallization. You remember your experiment in high school, you drop a um, thread in a jar with saturated uh, solution, whatever that was, salt or sugar. A week later, you pull that string out and you see what on it? Crystals. The same thing happens to natural honey that hasn't been processed. Natural honey that has not been processed is full of tiny microscopic grains of pollen. Whatever plant they visited, they brought nectar, but they could not completely take or separate the grains of nectar out, uh, grains of pollen out of the nectar. So there's some pollen in your nectar that's kept and sealed in that honey. So your honey will have pollen. And that's how you can identify where, what is the source of honey. If you look under the microscope and see grains of pollen in the honey, you can detect the shape of the pollen because each pollen granule from different plant has different shapes. It's sort of like 
Snowflakes have different shapes, so pollen granules have different shapes. And you can say, oh, that pollen is from sunflower, that pollen is from honey locust, or that pollen is from blackberry. By the way, you also can tell the by the color of the pollen on the legs of the bee what culture they collected it from. For example, if they visit alfalfa, then the pollen would be like purple on them. Or they visit onions, the pollen will be purple too. If they visit, uh, uh, for example, um, uh, the three-leaf thing, what is the name? Clover. If they visit clover, the pollen will be sort of brownish, grayish. If they visit um, blackberries, the pollen will be greenish. If they visit sunflower, then the pollen will be bright orange. You know, different, you, actually there's a chart and you can go online, I have that chart somewhere there too. There's different, you can tell the, the plant source by the color of the pollen. So the honey always has pollen, so your natural honey that you have will crystallize because of those centers of crystallization, those tiny little granules. Besides, it will have tiny particles of wax and tiny particles of propolis in it. And that's what makes the honey somewhat good for you. Notice I said honey is somewhat good for you. Why do I say that? Because I read my Bible. I read my Bible. And the Bible says, found honey, eat some. And then says, too much honey is not good. All right. So use honey in moderation. Why? Because honey essentially is sugar. It's fructose sucrose, you know, there's, there's amylase in it, some, some of, um, of um, uh, secretion of the bee. There's very small, some people argue that honey is not vegan product because it has some, some of the spittum, of, uh, but there's a word for it, a scientific word for that thing is, um, thing that helps uh, co complex molecules split into simple molecules. Enzyme. Thank you. Enzyme. So there's a very small, about less than 1% of that enzyme present in the honey, which helped complex molecules of sugar be split in smaller, more digestible, easily digestible molecules of sugar. In fact, if you put some honey on your hand, on your skin, it will be assimilated on a cellular level and will go in your bloodstream without needing of digestion. That's, uh, that's the job that the bees uh, have done. They collected nectar and they added that sub 1% amount of amylase or they basically helped that to be available to your cells as a pure fuel. That's why honey is dangerous if you eat more than two teaspoons. What happens to you if you, if, or if you especially if you are a young child and your body mass is not very high and you eat, you, you Basically, instead of boosting your immune system, you are depressing your immune system. Just like sugar, honey does the same thing. But honey has one redeeming quality, actually three redeeming qualities. <laughs> the three redeeming qualities of honey, even though it's sugar and it's harmful, the Bible says, don't eat too much honey, it's bad. That's what the Bible says. I didn't do my study, I just read the study. And too much honey is just like too much sugar. It's better to stay away from sugar completely. But in my opinion, and according to the Bible, eat some honey because it has three redeeming qualities. First of all, it has pollen, which carries micronutrients and vitamins. Second, it has propolis, which is natural antibiotic, antiviral, antifungal. 
and it has wax, which also helps digestive system. So you have those three redeeming qualities about honey. So honey is sugar, remember that. Don't overdo honey. It's not good for you. It, it, it attacks your immune system, it depresses it, you know. Um, at the same time, it has some redeeming qualities about it. Now, besides um, those three physiologically um, redeeming qualities, honey has a, uh, a static redeeming quality. It's the flavor. It's the fragrance that it carries from different plants. That's another thing that we enjoy about honey. So you are ready to extract your honey. You grabbed your lid off, and you see these fat frames. What do you do next? You say, how do I extract the honey? Talk to your neighbor who is a beekeeper. Ask him to show how to do that. I can tell you, but when you start doing it, it's a different story, okay? So have somebody who done it before walk you through it, do it together with you for the first time. But the basic theory behind it is this. You take the frame out and you assess it both sides. You see, you know, bees ro running all over it. You see it's sealed all the way. Maybe there's five, 10% unsealed on the bottom. It's okay. Just 5-10% on the bottom will not dilute your honey that much. You say, well, this honey, this frame is ready for harvest. You check, there's five more frames ready to harvest. You make sure that first you find the frame where the queen is. Why? You don't want to kill your queen in the process. So find the frame with the queen. And since you're a hobbyist, you have plenty of time to do that. You just have three hives. You can find the queen. It may take you five to minutes or 10 at the, at the most to find the queen. You found the queen. You make sure you put that frame somewhere to the side in a separate box temporarily, okay? And just gently put it there. Now you can work with the rest of the frames without the fear that you might squish your queen. So you could be a little rougher now. You don't have to be rough. But in order to shake off the bees from the frame, before you extract the honey, you want all the bees off your frame, right? Off your comb. So you grab that, that piece. You have two methods. One, you could have a blower. Have a hose with gentle flow of air. And you blow the bees off your frame, both sides. If you, there will be one or two bees still running around, no matter how hard you try to get them off, you know? You use the smoke too. And they run away, but they, there still will be some there. So the smoke won't completely chase them away. Uh, commercial beekeepers use a stinky chemical called Begon. It's a commercial name, a marketing name, Begon. Basically, you drop a few drops on top of your lid, on the bottom of your lid, and put the lid back on the hive. That's such a stinky substance. It causes all the bees from the top box where the honey is run down in the bottom of the hive. All of them will run down. It will take about 20 minutes. Sometime you put too many drops of that substance there and it will be such a horrible stench in the hive that the bees will abscond. Basically they say, we don't like this home. They will all will fly away. So be careful with be gone if you are doing be gone. All right? <laughs> yeah, they'll be gone. Absolutely right. So be careful, monitor. See if, if you see that they start coming out from the front entrance, remove the lid right away. <laughs> you know, remove the source of that stench. A question. Um, will smoking the bees um, not make the flavor of the honey like smoky? It will if the honey is uncapped. Oh, okay. But remember, the honey is sealed. If it's capped, it yeah. 
Yeah, if it's capped, it's, it's hydros, uh, hyd, uh, I forgot the fancy word for it. Forgive me. Anyway, so if it's sealed, it won't absorb the smoke. However, when, when you achieve the, desire, the desirable state of the hive where the bees are all gone, whether you use bee, use bee gone or whether you use smoke or whether you blow the bees off the frame, I personally, when I had just 10 hives, I just took a, a, a frame and shook it vigorously like this over the hive. Most of the bees will fall off. Then I would pick, um, make a little broom out of green grass that grows around and just swipe off the rest of the bees off the frame and put it in an empty box right next to me, put a lid right away because the rest of the bees are looking for the source of honey and they will start snooping around and go back to that frame, right? So you are robbing the hive. Some, yeah. In, in vernacular, people call robbing the hive. I'm robbing my hives. So you go for the next frame. You take, you take probably, if it's early in the season, you can take 80% uh, of all the honey. It's yours. Now, if it's late in the season, don't do that because the bees will need that honey for themselves for the winter, all right? So if it's late in the season, you can take half of the honey. So basically, the rule of thumb, if you have two brood boxes with bees, make sure that first box is brood and the second box is full of what? Honey for the next season for the bees. That honey will carry them through the winter. And if you beekeep, do beekeeping in Canada, make sure there's full second box of honey because the colder it is outside, the more food the bees will need. Why do they need food? It could be minus 40 outdoors, but the bees will collapse into a cluster, a very tight cluster. They'll, they'll form the, the, the crust, and inside it's gonna be like summertime, you know, running around 96 degrees, and then they take turns diving in, and those on the inside will go out to take turn shielding everybody else from cold weather. But, in order for them to produce heat and warmth, they will have to be next to the source of what? Honey. So the top of this cluster will be hanging onto the frames where the honey is. They will be munching on the honey and passing it down to those guys inside. They all will share honey, will do these kind of motions to stay warm. And, um, and slowly, they are, at the, at, they are right at the bottom of the second box that's full of honey. Throughout the winter in Canada, they will munch through the second box. All the honey, they will eat slowly, all that honey. And in the spring, you open the lid and all your bees are in a top box. They ate all the honey. Now, if you did, didn't leave enough honey for them, they will starve and die. So they are not afraid of cold. The cold does not kill the bees. What kills the bees in the winter? Moisture. Say it again. Starvation, Starvation and moisture. moisture okay. Um, that's a good thing to mention. Yes. Um, it is not a good idea. Okay, the question is, would it be a good thing to put your bees in a barn for the winter because it's a little warmer? Not a good idea. My daddy and I tried it long ago and then I read about it more. Not a good idea because the bees are not afraid of cold weather. They actually, it's better to either have them at cold temperature or, or summertime somewhere in Florida. It's, it's not good to have that in between type temperature because they are trying to develop, they're using honey to raise the brood, 
but the temperature is not warm enough. So they are trying really hard, really hard. They, are, they think it's spring, but it's not. So they eat all their honey. They try to raise brood, but there's no warm weather. So they, they exhaust their resources. They lost their capacity of raising new bees. And there's spring here, and they are dying because they lost all their abilities to raise bees. So it's better to keep them either in very cold weather or nice and warm weather. Um, it's not necessary. It's absolutely not necessary. The bees do. I know beekeepers who actually store their bees in refrigerators and crank the temperatures down to like um, 32 degrees, and keep it at 32 in the winter, because the bees use very little food. They are not trying to raise babies, so they are not wasting their resources. Remember that. A bee that enters the winter has only one job to perform, and that job is what? To raise one more generation of bees for the next season. And if that bee tried all winter, it's on the borderline, trying to raise bees, eating lots of honey, spending its resources, trying to raise, but nothing happens because the weather is still not good enough. And those newly hatched bees have to empty their stomachs they start emptying their stomachs inside because it's too cold outside. The whole colony gets pooped, basically, and you have nothing. So, um, moisture, yeah. Another thing, moisture. Moisture kills bees too. Starvation and moisture kills them. Moisture results as a, as a, as a byproduct of digesting of the honey. In the winter, when the walls of the colony, of the walls of the hive are very cold because it's cold outside, there's plenty of warmth inside of the cluster. And as they eat honey, they exhale uh, moist air. So moisture that is a product of decomposition of honey has to be taken out of the hive somewhere. And if your hive is not well ventilated, doesn't have any vents in the lid, or doesn't have wide enough opening, that moisture will stay as condensate on the lid and on the side of the hive. Eventually it will start dripping right on the top of the bees and on the top of this cluster, on the top of the honey, and the honey will be diluted, fermented, and pretty soon they'll die. So make sure if you're wintering your bees, make sure there's plenty of ventilation. Your lid is ventilated um, and you have an opening enough, a large enough opening, and if you are in northern climates, make sure you have mice guards on, on the entrances so mice cannot enter your hive. But let's go back to honey extraction. So we are uh, pulling these frames out, we are getting rid of the bees, either shaking them, sweeping them off, putting this in the box. Make sure you do it with somebody who's done it before. Or if you want to try it on your own good, on your own good, you can do it. Um, you just, you learn through doing it. Then you take and return when you took all the honey you wanted or you are allowed to take. Remember, a colony produces double the supply that the colony will need for the next year. So a colony produces, let's say, about 100 pounds of honey. They only need about 20 to 30 pounds of that honey for themselves. The rest is yours. So you took what you are allowed to take. You take that box in your kitchen or your honey house. You have some kind of small extractor, if you have two or three hives, or you borrowed from your neighbor an extractor. What is a honey extractor? It's a, it's a small hand-cranked machine. 
that you crank the handle, it, it transfers the motion to the central rod through the couple of gears. And the central rod has cassettes. All your frames could be uh, tangentially put on the sides. And as you spin the handle, frames are spun inside of that machine. And as that spinning motion happens, the centrifugal force will force the honey out of each cell out onto the walls of this machine. And eventually, it'll flow down the walls in the bottom collecting tank and, you strain, and drain it out. That's the process of extraction. You can buy an extractor for about 100 bucks to 200 bucks. That's the cheapest model, a plastic one or a stainless steel one. If you want a motorized one, that'll be five, six, seven hundred dollars. And it will have, if you want a fancier model, it will have dial where you can adjust the rate, the, the speed of your extraction speed. Now, why do you need, by the way, here's an interesting fact. You know how the, the honey extractor was um, made? It was in 1800s by a Czech teenager. How old is this guy, do you think? No, that's not a teenager. Okay. Anybody 16 here? All right, nobody. Okay, a teenager, about 16 year old. He was helping his grandpa extracting honey. His name was Franz Grushka. And that basically means, uh, Franz of course means Franz. Grushka means pear. His last name was Pear. <laughs> so this fellow is helping his grandpa and he's running a piece of comb, a frame, to the house to be extracted. In those days, you know how they extracted honey? They just destroyed the comb and put it in a cheesecloth and let it drip. That's how they extracted And then they melted the wax for candles or whatever else. So this Franz fellow is running to the house to his grandma to give this piece of comb and he trips. And as he trips, the frame wasn't completely sealed, not completely kept. As he tripped, he started falling and his hand, guess what? His hand made this circular motion in the air <laughs> as he was falling down. And he looked up and he saw these driplets of honey flying everywhere, <laughs> droplets of honey. And he has this idea, oh, if you spin this thing, the honey comes out. <laughs> So he and his grandpa invented this machine where you put a piece of comb in the machine and spin this thing and the honey comes out. Of course, before you put your sealed or capped frame in the machine, you use a special knife, sharp knife or hot knife. If you have a hot knife, it cuts through the wax much easier than a cold knife, right? A very sharp cold knife will do the job too. But if, if you don't have electric knife that constantly is hot, you can use a very sharp special knife grab a frame, cut off the, the, the capping first, so when you spin, the honey can come out. Otherwise, the honey is trapped inside and doesn't come out. Now also, assess the comb, whether it's fresh, light color comb, or dark color comb. You know why you need to do that, guys? Because fresh, newly built comb is very brittle, very easily destroyed. And if you apply centrifugal force by spinning it, guess what happens to that gentle tender wax it breaks and your frame is no good it broke your comb is broken now if your comb is so light just freshly built how much speed do you want to apply to your you have to extract it very gently so it'll take a little longer so you extract your lighter colored frames very gently just start spinning slowly until you see drops of honey raining on the side wall of your extractor just look inside and Oh, I see the drops going. So maintain that speed. And, uh, you know, as soon as you 
done it for about a minute you can depending on the design of your machine there are extractors that have radial uh, positioning of the frames and there are that have tangential positioning of the frames so the radial means that as you spin it both sides of the frame release honey at the same time you remember the, the frame has cells on both sides and one more intriguing thing if you look at the construction of of the comb the comb cells are not really horizontal they actually are slightly angled like this why do you think it is yeah to keep the honey from flowing out so if you were to spin this frame in orientation that in a wrong orientation that these cells are pointing in the direction of spinning then what you are doing you are forcing the honey back into your cells right so make sure that the top bar of your frame where the cells are oriented up towards the top bar that the top bar is actually following the motion so if the frame is in the extractor and it's tangential basically it's the extractor where it extracts only one side of the frame at a time the frame is spun like this make sure that the top bar is in the back of the motion if the motion is in this direction the top bar has to be in the back that will assure that the honey will easily come out of the cells because the frame is trying to run away and the honey is coming out straight of the frame otherwise if you put it like this and the cells are directed like this I'm exaggerating the cells don't have this kind of angle they are slightly angled <laughs> but I'm exaggerating to make a point so you, you're trying to move in that direction it actually forces the honey back you know? so you're not extracting you're breaking your frame so the orientation is important so when you extract it gently on one side you have to raise that frame out and flip it so the other side of the frame would be extracting now and make sure the cells are still pointing to the back of the motion and you continue gently spinning because it's gentle tender wax that just has been built as soon as you slowly extracted both sides the the frame is not as heavy anymore right so you can increase what the speed. the speed you can increase the speed a little bit so the honey is out the f there's no danger of breaking the frame so you crank it a little faster on this side flip it one more time crank fast on the other side and if you have electric one you can set the speed and um, then the frame is extracted the honey is in the bottom collected all you need to do is open the valve and put a bucket there five gallon buckets you know or a gallon jug or whatever you use and um, and before you actually pour it there make sure you put some kind of sieve to catch pieces of wax that are large enough you know um, sometimes you catch a bee leg or a bee that you accidentally pulled into your extractor somehow you don't even know how <laughs> You know it can happen so you strain it through some kind of strainer and the best strainer I found so far is anybody done commercial painting or seen commercial painters work on your house they use paint cloth for five gallon buckets you can buy it in Home Depot it's it's like large cheesecloth you put it into your five gallon buckets and and you strain the honey through some kind of metal strainer first that takes big chunks and then this finer paint straining nylon mesh very fine that will catch little bee legs or whatever else you know that you don't want in your honey and um, eventually you have your final unfiltered unprocessed 
honey in your home environment. Why, why did I say unprocessed, unfiltered? Yes, yes. There was a question. All right. There's difference between filtered and strained. Okay. Um, the question is, uh, is there a difference between unfiltered and strained? Yes, there is difference. When we talk about straining, you basically mechanically remove chunks of, big chunks of wax and bee legs or bee that accidentally got into your extractor. However, commercial honey produce, uh, production and whatever honey you buy that's labeled grade A, it's not a very good honey actually, it's just sugar. If, if unfiltered, unfiltered means it hasn't been heated up until it's the consistency of oil. When you heat honey up, it becomes very thin, like almost like water, like oil, like cooking oil. So it's heated up so hot, so it could be filtered through paper filter, like, like coffee filter kind of thing. Normal honey cannot penetrate that thick of a paper, but when you heat it up hot, you can bump it through paper filters under pressure. It comes out on the other side, and guess what? The other side is just pure sugar, has no pollen, has no propolis, has no wax. So filtered honey actually will be on the shelf for years and will look crystal clear and will not crystallize. Now your unfiltered home produced honey or naturally produced honey will always have pollen, propolis and wax in it. Therefore it will crystallize within a month or two depending on the blossoms. For example, Sunflower honey will crystallize within three weeks. Like clover honey won't crystallize for a year sometimes. Or, or honey locust honey will not crystallize for three years. You know, but eventually it will. What determines the speed of crystallization? The presence of what? Pollen, propolis, and some plants have very little pollen, therefore their honey doesn't crystallize fast. Yes, question. So when you All right, some, some folks talk about or ask about uh, uh, flow um, um, hive. The hive where you have a design of a frame that, that in, instead of uncapping the, the capping and spinning the frame, the frame is designed in a way where with a pull of a lever, each frame in a hive that's full of honey is shifted inside internally like this, just quarter an inch which breaks the internal walls of the comb and the honey is dripping from the top of the cells all the way to the bottom in a collecting pipe. Eventually, you can put a jar in front of the hive and just pull the lever and collect the honey. Now, when you do that, there's, you are not actually handling bees. You are not chasing the bees away and there's very little chance that there's a bee that will get into the flow. Therefore, the honey is pretty much clean of bee particles it still has all the pollen and all the propolis and all the small particles of wax. So, if yeah, if a bee loses a leg, it's a sad thing for that bee. Uh, but for the whole colony, it's not such a big loss because there's about 2,000 bees di dying daily in each colony. Oh, the leg will not end up there. No, 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 no. So it's probably probably the the least invasive way of getting the honey out of the hive. So that, that's, it's a very expensive technology so far. 
you can buy these things now in China. China is the first country that would would copy things that are patented without any 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 permission, right? So you already can buy things in China that hasn't been produced by the original inventor. You know that's how fast it goes. Uh, so you you can get them in China for cheap. And a buddy of mine in San Diego actually bought some from China that are really cheap. <laughs> And he's experimenting with those. So I'll go and see this season how it goes. Um, I'm like talking about 100 bucks for a set, and normal price is like 600 bucks for a set. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's six times cheaper. Yes? What is Manuka honey? Manuka honey is a unique honey that is collected from Manuka plants that grow in Australia and New Zealand. Manuka plant. Um, there are studies that have shown how manuka honey is reducing the number of bacteria in your wound when you apply manuka honey to the wound. So that's, since that study was done, manuka honey is worldwide famous honey as antibacterial remedy for your wounds. So for any wound care, if you put some manuka honey on it, you are killing bacteria without antibiotics. So it's natural antibiotic, yes. The other honey is the same way? Any other honey is the same way because of the propolis content. So it's better to make a propolis preparation. Propolis is oil soluble. So take some cooking oil, whatever oil, olive oil or any other oil, mix it well with, with, with propolis. And then apply that to your wound or whatever bacterial issue you might have. And my daddy just puts a chunk of propolis in his mouth on his tooth. And that helps. So. I don't know. I never tried that. But um, manuka honey supposedly, because of manuka plant, has extra healing properties. And I have never tried it. But Mr. Greenfield, a friend of mine from Weimar, gave me a jar of manuka honey. And he's from New Zealand, so they have manuka growing there everywhere. And I tried it. it, it it's pleasant honey to eat. And supposedly it's therapeutic, but I didn't have any wounds to test it on my wounds. I had a family member who had an injury in a third world country and he came back with a huge huge stomach lesion infection. And antibiotics didn't work and then the new Well he packed it on there every yeah. day. Well there there's there is a testimony from the lady whose friend um, actually healed a wound that would not respond to any antibiotics, but when she did compresses with manuka honey, it healed. So, it's from tea tree. Tea tree. Yeah. Manuka blood. I don't know. It's called manuka, but maybe it's relative of a tea family. I don't know. But, but manuka is a plant in, in New Zealand and Australia. They, oh, um, I'm sorry. Hawaii has some manuka forests. But they are different. It's not the same thing as Australia and New Zealand. There's actually a Manuka National Forest in Hawaii, but it doesn't have Manuka plants. It just has a name of Manuka. So when I saw it on the map, I said, hmm, maybe I should uh, talk to those people and see if I can put some of my beehives there <laughs> to have Manuka honey. And I actually uh, talked to them and did the research. It's just a name, Manuka National Forest. You know, that's all. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.